welcome to a brand new edition of the Story Bar podcast. Today, we present to you the cast of Oil and Gas. In this edition, we will dive deep into the lives of the faces that make the oil and gas industry a truly global industry. We'll be talking about their roots, inspiration, and journey, and how each one of them, in their own unique ways, makes this industry what it is today. It's pure magic. To kick off the first episode of the cast of Oil and Gas, we are elated to have with us Asad Mohana. He is the director of business strategy at National Oil Well Varco. Asad also hosts an amazing show called Inside Out. Make sure you tune into it. It's out there on all social media handles of Oil. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Asad. How are you doing today? I'm good, Garima. Thanks for having me. Asad, there's something that I want to really understand because I've been following your work for so long. There is so much that inspires me. There's so much that I understand. But there's also so much that I'm not aware of. For instance, I don't know where does Asad come from? Where are your roots? Who are you as an individual? And to begin our conversation, I would really like you to help me uh, take through your roots, your journey, and uh, where is your family? What is your background? Give me a bit of that uh, context. Yeah, uh, I was born in, in Beirut uh, during a, uh, a decade of, of civil unrest. It was a civil war uh, back then in the 80s. Uh, I was third child to my elder sister and uh, brother. Uh, I had two younger sisters as well. So big, big family, uh, just like my parents did. I think uh, more typical in the uh, Eastern world than, than over here in the U.S. Um, lots, of, lots, of, lots of space, lots of people, lots of family members to, to stay entertained and, and the siblings to, to fight with. So there was never shortage of that. Uh, my my father was uh, still a pediatrician. Um, he's a, he's also a strong advocate of human rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's founded a nonprofit that has left a big uh, kind of took a big big uh, impact on my life. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom's a school teacher. Um, we grew up just doing okay, nothing fancy. And then I went to a French school. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, French had colonized Lebanon for many, many years there. There was a big mandate after the First World War. Um, so I went, went to a French school. I learned, so English was self-taught until I was 13 or 14 when we got uh, one hour a week, I remember. It was one hour a week of English and everybody came watching, you know, Hollywood movies and we practiced our English in classes. Uh, it was good. That, so then I, then I finished school. Um, uh, I, I, uh, I went on to do some, some work on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, so I, I was, I was considering engineering, but you know, at, the, at that point I'm like, I'm out of, right out of school. I have no idea what this, you know, when, when you're from that part of the world, your parents want you to either be an engineer, a lawyer or a doctor. Right, right. And, and to me, I mean, I was, I was debating, I was like, is this for me? What do I want to do? So I went to do a couple of things. One of which was, uh, I want I worked as a mechanic, as a car mechanic at Nissan, uh, Nissan dealership. And, uh, 
I spent a few months doing that, and that's that's where I kind of uh, formed, started forming my identity towards why engineering, why mechanical engineering in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of that hands-on experience, which I still have. I think it was, it was, you know, it helped me make that choice. It helped me make a bit of money too to put in for for tuition for my first year of college, which which I thought was helpful. My parents appreciated it. Um, uh, and then we have to go to the bank to ask for more. <laughs> right. um, and then, so I, so that, that worked out like, yeah, engineering it is. Um, I, I went on to university, did mechanical engineering at American University of Beirut. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, that's, and that's where I met uh, my uh, life partner, Nancy. We got married uh, a few years later and now we have uh, Camille and Sienna, boy and girl. Amazing, amazing. Lovely, lovely knowing about them. And Asad, if I may ask, who is that one person who really, really inspires you the most within the family? I know it's a difficult question because there cannot be just one person within the family, right? But I really want to understand whom do you really look up to uh, for, you know, when things are going down, when things are tough for you? Who is that one person you look up to? Yeah, I think it's a good one. Um, I I think... uh, my family background was uh, influential, you know, whether it was, you know, my, my dad, my mom. Um, uh, and, and like I said, we grew up three children and, and that was until I was, and I, and I don't talk about this much, but I, until I was seven, uh, my brother passed away. He was my eldest, my, my elder brother, he was 11. Um, it was a fire incident at a ski trip with, um, with school. Uh, where four uh, young boys uh, uh, were trapped um, and never made it out, so that that left a big a big uh, sorrow, big 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 emptiness from the tragedy for us. Um, and as hard as my parents tried not to let it uh, reflect on myself and my sisters, it was uh, it, there, there was always some impact, as implicit as as it was. Um, so, so difficult times, very difficult times you know, early on, but I think, you know, how my parents handled it, how they handled us, um, it, it was pretty minimal. I mean, when something like that happens, you, you, you it's, it's, a, it's pretty bad. You could leave you with, uh, lots of damage for long term, but it, how, how it left me in our societies being very uh, paternal societies mm-hmm. uh, it left me with more responsibility because now I'm the older son mm-hmm. uh, and that you know whether I liked it or not and it was at home because I mean my sisters are you know one's a PhD another is an engineer another a psychologist so and, and my mom's a teacher so it's never it wasn't from from a home environment as much as a societal pressure to okay, what's Assad going to be? Like, okay, is he going to follow the footsteps of his dad? Is he going to... And and to me, kind of that pressure along with kind of my dad working with me on trying, keep trying things out, always encouraged me to try new things. And um, I think that developed a sense of curiosity, which I think is a a big driver for for anybody growing up to... uh, carry on with exploring and trying things and, you know, willing to fail uh, continuously. And, and I think that left a big mark. And the other thing I'll, I'll say about growing up and influence is the nonprofit that my, my father had founded in, in late seventies mm-hmm. uh, 
Mel, and now it's one of the largest nonprofits in Lebanon. It's grown internationally. Now we're doing some work here in Houston uh, to expand some of its work. Um, it has provided several millions of types of, or, or of services to refugee communities in Lebanon and outside of Lebanon. Um, and it's kind of taken this position of equal distance from all the uh, influential parties. Because, you know, you, you, I don't know if, I still don't get the Lebanese politics, but if you, if you follow Lebanese politics, mm-hmm. you either follows, you know, you're with someone or you're, 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 you know, you're doomed. So I'm always taking that position mm-hmm. and I've been volunteer by default since early ages. I remember I was 11 years old and I was, uh, there was this, uh, another big, uh, you know, incident that happened in the South and, and we went with ambulances and helped, uh, carry the wounded. Um, and now ML is a Nobel Peace Prize nominee, nominated organization. It's won lots of, um, uh, you know, the Big Heart uh, Prize and many others. So that kind of stayed with me. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's all of that to say uh, it was definitely my father and my mother that have immense impact. But mm-hmm. also living in a house that has a, you know, that sort of organization and culture mm-hmm. uh, driver too. Right, right. And uh, since you mentioned about this nonprofit that your father founded and uh, the uh, area of work that you got involved into from a very, very young age, there is this uh, recent very heartbreaking incident that happened in Beirut, right? Very recently. I want to understand i'm not sure how disturbing this question is for you to answer but i really want to understand how did this event affect you because you are not living there currently you your but your roots are in beirut right your roots are right there you are living in houston how did that impact you how did that incident impact you what did you feel at that point of time did you feel helpless did you feel that something should have been done what was missing according to you what was missing at that point of time i, I remember when it happened uh, it was uh, that morning in august i think it was august 4th i was sitting in a meeting and somebody shows me a video of this big mushroom cloud and I'm like, it's, it's cool effects. Whoever did that must have spent quite a bit of time. Like, you know, it can be real because, you know, it's, it's too big for it to be real. But then quickly things evolved and uh, I looked up the news um, and I saw that it was, you know, it was a massive explosion that um, took the lives of several hundred people and still dislocates several thousand. Um, and yes, I was helpless. <clears throat> and um, in a situation like that, had I been in Lebanon, um, I would be in the streets trying to carry people, help rebuild. Um, but you know what? Um, and, and you'll you, you'll learn that about me. It's that I've always tried to find the bright side in something. And Michael Gaines, who you probably know, uh, and I keep talking about that on the show. Yes. The silver lining in every single situation. There's right. always something you, you right. could you could me being present in Houston with ML having already been established, we started a GoFundMe and several thousand people uh, donated and helped 
with the recovery. So our presence here, the work that we've done over the during, with the community here in Houston mm -hmm. to uh, to fundraise and to support was immense. We had people wanted to send all sorts of things and having the foundation of the, I mean, setting up a nonprofit in the U.S. is not the easiest thing. So when you have it established for something like that, people just want a trusted name to channel support. And that's exactly what we did. Mm -hmm. um, and we still do. I, I did end up visiting Beirut in December last year to see what happened. It was, yeah. it was heartbreaking. And it's, um, I think Beirut will take some time to recover. Right, right. What is your message for the people uh, over there? Uh, go down and vote to the right people. Uh, we, we have an issue of uh, just a revolving door for the same people, which hasn't changed. I mean, that's, uh, it's a shame that uh, we're not able to, you know, Lebanese people are, you know, I'm not saying that because I am one, but they're, they're pure, they're great, they're, they're sweet. You know, when, whenever there's a tragedy, everybody comes together, they support like there's absolutely nothing that separates them. But uh, I think we've, we're just uh, unlucky with the, with the leadership that we've had in the organization, in, in, the, in the country and uh, poor governance. Right, right. Moving on, Asad, what really got you into the oil and gas industry? Was it the career path you had always dreamed of and is that how you imagined yourself? You did mention that uh, people in your part of the land, the career choices, if you talk about the career choices, doctors, engineers. So yeah. was oil and gas industry a part of the uh, bigger picture for you ever since? Or what really, really motivated you? Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that, yeah, you know what? That you could be anything you want as long as it's these three things. But I mean, joking aside, I think uh, I, I was from a younger age, uh, you know, driven towards building things and doing things with my hands. And mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I wanted to make sure that engineering was the thing for me. Um, I wasn't entirely sure. Automotive was uh, in my mind for, for a long time. Like, is it, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's cool. I want to be, you know, working in one of those car dealerships. And oil and gas was never in my horizon because Lebanon never had resources until recently starting to right. explore. Um, and the influence of the Gulf was minimal, you know, the GCC countries. So um, it was always something that is high tech, is, um, you know, harsh environment. It is, um, you know, big equipment. It's mm -hmm. long life. And, uh, and, and I wanted that. That's, that's really where I wanted to go. Um, so doing my, my bit of work at the Nissan dealership, I think that helped me be sure that this is <laughs> what I wanted to do and, and uh, you know, be in a place that's that sort of environment. And when I, when I compare that to oil and gas and I jump forward a few years and say how I started my career, uh, starting in a workshop, uh, servicing downhole tools, mm -hmm. uh, to drill wells, and servicing a, a you know a, a car or changing an engine or replacing it's not very different 
like the you you still need the skill set you still need the technology you still need the equipment and tools and support and the backup with the organization so so very parallel i felt um in in both worlds and, and when i got into school i never got into mechanical engineering first thing i got into a civil engineering for some reason that was easier to get into or the code for mechanical engineering was fast uh so uh I, I made it into civil engineering, but all of my courses were mechanical engineering until I, I got my, my transfer. And what's funny is uh, the, the day or the week I graduated was the same day the iPhone 1 was released. So I, you know, I, I call myself iPhone 1 generation, like <laughs> June 20 something, 2007. And I think that changed the world and how we thought about just careers and work and what can be done. Um, and, and, you know, finishing from school, I remember doing several interviews. There was a couple of industries that uh, were interesting. But, you know, when, I mean, you're most of the time young and not very sure of where you want to end up. Um, and especially if you're me, I mean, you, if it's shiny, then I'm after it. And, uh, you know, if there's travel, I want to go. Uh, and that, those were available. I mean, 2007, before the crisis, things still looked okay. Um, so, uh, but then oil and gas uh, came first, and I think I picked it, uh, or it picked me, I don't know, but uh, it ended up working out really well. Amazing, amazing. And how has your journey been with NOV so far? What are some of the different roles that you have taken up? And it's been almost uh, 14 years, if I'm not wrong, uh, with NOV, right? So how has it been for you? What really gets you going? What really inspires you to get to work every day? Why do you love this company so much? Yeah, so I, I, started, uh, I started in the workshop. I literally you know, got out of the, machine, the, the, the mechanics shop into a you know, oil and gas downhole tool cleaning, literally cleaning tools, pressure washing. And uh, I'm like, I did engineering. Why am I doing this? <laughs> right. Uh, but, but, you know, that's, that's really where, where, how I built trust with the team in the workshop with the technicians who really make things happen uh, operationally. Um, uh, and then I started supporting the district sort of with a technical role, technical support. Uh, gaining a bit more um, knowledge about our industry and how things happen from that drilling perspective. Okay, you know, why do we use these soles and uh, what are the downhole dynamics and why are things coming back and breaking? And that was, I, I turned into that guy where a broken tool would come and I would just put my investigation hat and like, okay, what happened here? Let's try to figure out the mechanics. And that was nice, nice bit of in investigative engineering work. Um, and then, as I started to like that a bit more, uh, somebody decided to take me away from Dubai, which uh, at that point was, I think it was in you know, the middle of the summer, temperatures, you know, uh, in, you know crazy hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, that's what I ever see. Uh, and and I, I'm sure, you know, we, we're familiar with those temperatures in that part of the world, but, uh, and, and to, to send me for a almost a year rotation in Edmonton, Canada, where our design engineering group sits. And to me, that was a big change because all I had done for the prior year and a half or so was all operations. Now I'm going back and now that I've seen it, go back and start doing some design. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really where I literally wore my engineering hat for the first time uh, in great depth. And I started 
coming up with, you know, learning from the failures that I've seen in the field, how to better develop equipment that could withstand these environments. And I, mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, just building the relationships and being in Edmonton, one of the coldest spots at one point during, you know, on, on the planet, there was a uh, thing like I've seen before, uh, but, but definitely, um, uh, definitely a, a, a great foundational experience that I had then. Then I returned to the Middle East uh, to sort of build a, a, a technical engineering support team to support the region. Um, and with Saudi being mm-hmm. uh, one of our biggest operations, uh, uh, my mentor back then at NOV was like, I think you should go spend some time there. And Saudi for a young guy, uh, not married yet, probably wasn't the most exciting place to be, but for work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that was the most rewarding career move that I've done because that's where I gained all the experience in an extremely intense environment, you know, mm-hmm. two, 300 rigs drilling uh, within a couple of hours drive, the organizations, the companies that you're working with, top notch, the people that you meet, extremely, extremely competent. And right. um, that's where you really sink your teeth and, and you know, get, get your, your, um, your experience really, really well. Uh, somebody thought I did something right in Saudi. They decided to move me to Houston. Um, I did that for a bit. Um, and then, Garma, uh, the downturn came. And the business I was with decided that they had to make some cuts. And I was one of them. Okay. Um, and imagine that was uh, a few years ago now. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm like, okay, maybe there's something good about this. Let's see where it goes. But I start packing because we needed to go back to, to Lebanon because we couldn't stay here anymore. And I was, as I was doing that, uh, uh, somebody lends me a hand. Uh, it, well, two, two gentlemen, David Reed and Robin McMillan. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, you, we have a place for you on our team. Um, and honestly, it couldn't have come in a better way ever since that shift. I think um, to me, it was transformational. It's probably one of the uh, most, most transformational in my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that transition from being so focused in one business, moving to a corporate role, right. uh, and later on transitioning into more of a strategy mm-hmm. capacity. Uh, gave me the the full visibility of our industry. Where where's why are this? Why are these decisions being made? Why is this environment growing faster than that mm-hmm. other one? Why is this technology not selling? Why is that uh, company uh, you know uh, succeeding at doing something that we weren't, or the other way around? And where's money being spent? Right. When, when you ch- when you track the the the, the flow of of money and and where the revenue were customers that's where you start uh gaining the the business perspective you stop working in the business but you start working on the business and it's it's a big difference when you're looking from afar but still getting back in um so so big lesson there i mean for me it's sometimes some of the best things in life come disguised in a bad situation but you know developing that resilience um, the right kind of resilience, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. is absolutely necessary for survival. 
And you never, never know what's behind that door that's just been opened or one door that's been shut, what's going to come after that. Definitely, definitely. And Asad, we all are aware with the recent pandemic, so many people lost their jobs, right? Some of them have found a good opportunity somewhere else. Uh, some of them have been called back to their uh, organization, the previous one. And some of them are still looking for opportunities. And what would your message be for them? What should they really hold on to at this point of time? Because you have been in that place. You have been in that situation. What really got you, uh, you know, on your feet and got you going? Uh, to me, it was probably, and it's a great question. And I asked that same question to my guests on, on Inside Out. Um, and it's, I'm, I'm curious to see what the different perspectives are. I think what I've formed from listening to a lot of uh, young people's feedback on our industry and we're senior people kind of reverting to what this, you know, the situation is. I, I think first and foremost, it's a, um, it's a place where you solve problems. Um, it's, it's a place where you really get to ask, um, some uh, very complex situations where we're talking about um, you know big energy uh, sources and equipment that move with extreme high precision for decades mm -hmm. um, and you know what every industry has issues but uh, when when you're looking at our industry when you're looking at energy or oil and gas um, I think the opportunity for, for new blood, for, for new ways of thinking to come in and make an impact. Okay. I mean, do you want to go into an industry that has absolutely no issues that, um, and, and with every downturn, I think, I think it's a, you know, we've lost a lot of great talent, but after every downturn, there's a big pickup. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and there's, there are lots and lots of opportunities that could come. So my message would be, keep an open mind. There are tons of opportunities that are going to come up in oil and gas. Um, and you're going to get a chance to be part of uh, really supporting this industry to transition into one that is cleaner. Mm -hmm. um, and we all know what the effect of the energy transition is today, but still uh, one that is more efficient, one that is more compassionate, one that is more diverse. Uh, and all of those are very important pillar to the success and continuity of our industry. And, and I think we're getting there. Mm -hmm. um, and just like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm a, um, you know, the challenges that our industry faces are fascinating. Uh, I'm an iPhone one generation. Uh, I, I think the industry could use some, some iPhone 10, 11 and 12 generation as well. Definitely. Definitely. And moving on, Asad, I'm not a very technical person. I come from a humanities background, but the inspiration and the messaging, the storytelling aspect of the Ask Asad show and the Inside Out show has been so incredible that I, as an audience, never felt out of place. I felt included in the conversation. And that makes me curious about the vision behind your show because there is so much information, but at the same time, it is being consumed by the audience in the simplest of ways and via a story that is so appealing 
I just want to understand the inspiration behind it. What you had in mind when you were conceptualizing the show and what were you really looking forward to? What did you want your audience to take uh, take home from the conversations that you are initiating um, and organizing on the show? Garima, I think what you are doing, what I'm doing uh, at NOV um, are very identical in many ways. What we're trying to do is to tell the story of our industry, mm -hmm. connect the dots. Um, when I was in the business, um, and I struggled to see the big picture. Uh, it, it felt crippling not knowing what's going outside of this uh, small world that I thought is was the entire world. Uh, so, so having the ability to convey the message from uh, people who have lived through this industry for all its upturns and downturns the last several decades, uh, I think brings a lot of um, weight to those that are perhaps don't have access to the wider uh, story. Mm -hmm. uh, so understanding the business, understanding the drivers behind the business uh, makes business easier, makes uh, our, 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 our people better leaders because now they know why they're doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, part of the show as well is, you know, is NOV giving back uh, we're in, on this show. We're not trying to sell a product or promote something that we do. There's a there's another show for that. There's a multiple platforms to do that. Yeah. Uh, but I think Insight Out is our way to say uh, thank you to our customers because then we give them a platform to to talk to their audience as well and our suppliers mm -hmm. and at the same time voice their story. Let them tell their story to the world. Um, and, and it's quite powerful. Yes, yes, absolutely. And Asad, since you are the person who, who is an expert in the area of business and uh, development, if we talk about the oil and gas industry, we all are aware that how cyclical, how unprecedented the landscape is. With every downturn, there is a learning. There is a learning that we take home. If we talk about the recent pandemic, I don't want to focus upon what we lost. I really want to uh, understand from you, from an expert, what are the greatest learnings we can take away from this situation? And what really makes the oil and gas industry strong, resilient? What really helped it uh, survive the entire um, event? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think. Uh, we have to come to a point where uh, we're not so reactive to upturns and downturns or on the flip side, create some mechanisms, some uh, prevention me measures to reduce those large, large peaks that our industry sees. Mm -hmm. And to a, to a great extent, we're kind of there going on. What happened um, in not too distant past, um, where a lot of the refineries were under attack in Saudi Arabia, or when the uh, Suez Canal was blocked for several, several days. In a, in a almost normal world, a few years ago, let's say, a decade ago, mm -hmm. uh, had these things happened, the price of oil would have shot all the way up and then all the way back down 
and we'd have a major situation on hand. Um, but what happened was, uh, yeah, there was an uptick, a slight mm -hmm. uptick. And then a few days later, uh, it balanced back again. This means the markets are somewhat uh, balanced. There, there, there's, and shale plays a big role because the reactive nature of how shale can fill in real quick. It's not a six year project, it's a four months project. So I can quickly replenish those shortages, I think helped a lot. But I think our opportunity comes with the energy transition. Um, our opportunity to fix the design, I think, or uh, the things that we didn't get entirely right setting up our industry, I think the energy transition gives us this opportunity to make things better. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just talking about how we drive towards a cleaner future, but uh, more precisely, I'm talking about how do we transition into a industry that is more welcoming to minorities and diversity for women, mm -hmm. to an industry that is more compassionate to individuals and that can support individuals, make that learning curve from one skill set to the other. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think the energy transition has great uh, focus on how can we move from oil and gas or coal to other sources of energy. Mm -hmm. uh, the way I see it, it's our opportunity to make things right on a, on a human personal level. Right, right. And talking about women in oil and gas, diversity in oil and gas, do you really feel that women are being well represented if we talk about the current times in the within the oil and gas industry. And if I may ask, since we are celebrating women, uh, I, I feel that we should be celebrating both men and women every single day. But since it is, um, it has been the International Day of Women on 8th March, and then the entire month has been around uh, this conversation. Who really inspires you at work? Who is that lady? And what uh, what is your message for other young women seeking a career in oil and gas who have that impression in their mind that maybe this is not a comfortable uh, area? Maybe it's not something that uh, as a woman I would be interested in. What would you uh, say about that? Yeah, um, we, we did a couple of uh, shows on celebrating uh, International Women's Day on Inside Out and on NOV Live. And if I were to start with a list, uh, it would probably be quite long. Had you asked me that question of who most inspires me uh, a couple of years ago, I would probably given you a name or two or three or four. I think today, uh, how I've personally developed Garima, uh, and especially in the last couple of years, um, it, it, towards people, people development and leadership, my answer would be, uh, there's something in everyone to inspire us. People are, are generally great. Like people are good. Yes, you will find some bad apples, uh, but in, in general, everybody has something to contribute to uh, your, your being yourself. Um, and if I go all the way back to, to the, to, you know, to the technicians, to the technicians in, in Dubai that I spent, mm -hmm. The you know extreme heat in, in workshops and in the middle of the desert. The engineers that I've worked on worked with in solving problems day to day. 
the, the women that spend time in the oil field in the Middle East, that's one of the toughest places to be in the oil field. Uh, I, I mean, uh, and, and the chance that I get to work with some fabulous talent today at NOV, uh, and I don't say that because I'm there, but there's absolutely world-class people that I get to work with on a daily, daily basis. Look, companies that have a significant share of female leaders outperform their peers. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that because it's an opinion, mm-hmm. it's studies that have been done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's no surprise that uh, not having the right balance mm-hmm. uh, is actually self-harming. Uh, which takes me back to my energy transition mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a human energy transition. This is our chance to make things right and, and get the right contribution. Absolutely, absolutely. And moving on, uh, Asad, this is, I think, the favorite part of the conversation where I want to understand from my guest, why do you think storytelling is so important, not just for oil and gas, but any any other landscape out there? And if we talk about the oil and gas industry, there has been a lot of negative uh, uh, preconceived notions around it you know and there is so much that the younger generation takes from the noise on social media how do we really overcome that because as the industry people the responsibility is on you the responsibility is on people within the industry and how do you really see that picture changing? What would your uh, contribution uh, be? De- definitely, uh, there is this uh, the show, the amazing show, Ask Asad show, the Inside Out show. It is bringing out these great stories. But what would you really tell these younger people who are in that impressionable um, you know, age group? And how do you make them understand what is oil and gas industry all about? And it's not what you see on social media. Karima, um, I think everyone has a story. Mm-hmm. No, nobody goes through life uh, unscathed. No, you, you don't, just, it just doesn't happen. Sooner or later, something's gonna happen. Um, and and w- without relevant emotional learnings, uh, lasting change does not take place. Mm-hmm. If we really wanna address the core, then you have to address the emotions. And that's, you know, some people mistakenly believe that, and I used to be one of them, that addressing the emotions oversteps the boundaries of professional work. Mm-hmm. And that's not right. Yeah. To, to, to have significant impact as a leader in your organization, you cannot but address emotions. The technical part and the hard skills and how good you are as an engineer or as a financial person or as an analyst, that's only half the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest is, is your soft skills, is your ability to connect, it's your ability to build trust. Um, and when we get in the habit of looking at the stories behind the emotions mm-hmm. and the habitual reactions to events in our lives, that's when we, we develop greater capacity for, for showing our emotional intelligence as leaders. And that's what it's about. It's, if you're a good leader, you're, you're strong on the emotional intelligence level, and you can truly build that trust uh, 
inspire the people around you. Um, and, and, you know, the most powerful leaders understand that uh, the power and impact of emotions um, to their career, to their progress, to the performance of the organization and the growth of their organization uh, are, are extremely connected, performance and emotions. Uh, so it, we, would, we wouldn't be uh, giving fairness to uh, storytelling if we wouldn't say it's an absolute important pillar because not only in what we're what you're doing very now what we're doing with, with inspect telling stories of people in our industry but also on the personal individual level building interpersonal relationships has to go through by telling our stories by sharing by showing signs of being human um, we're not, I mean, yes, it's a professional work environment, but we're not robots, we're human beings. And it's humans that make organizations. So uh, by means of telling stories, stories, which I found to be an extremely powerful tool, uh, I think we can, we can build those bridges, build those interpersonal relationships and uh, better deliver at the end of the day. 100%, 100%. And to conclude with Asad, what are you looking forward to in 2021? Wow, yeah. Uh, at first, I would say um, COVID to go away, uh, people to have some freedom to get back on um, you know, their work, get back and travel, visit with family, uh, get back into out of this health crisis that we're in. And I think that's very possible in 2021 for majority of the world. Mm -hmm. um, I look forward to our industry getting some, some relief. It's been uh, under distress for the last six or seven years. Um, I think it's, it's time to come out of this crisis in better shape. And I think we're in, in that direction with all the uh, market dynamics, the market consolidation that we're seeing with um, all the behavioral change that we're seeing with, with companies. Um, I look forward for more companies to buy NOV equipment, but that's <laughs> on the personal level. Uh, I, I also see that, you know, with energy transition being such a, a big theme, I think it's getting better defined, less controversial. Um, it's not either wind and solar or oil and gas. People are realizing, especially with the recent events in Texas with the freeze, that more and more of a uh, collaboration and dialogue needs to happen. I really look forward for the year to open up those communication channels. Um, on a personal level, Garma, I look forward to finishing up my, my MBA. Um, it's been going on for a couple of years, so I think that's a... It's a milestone. I want to pick up a hobby after that. Everybody got to pick a hobby during COVID because they were yeah. sitting at home doing homework. So <laughs> I, want to, yeah. I want to pick up a hobby. Um, and, and I definitely look forward to spending more time uh, with family and, uh, and taking care of mental health because I think we, we, uh, we all uh, need that. Yes, yes, lovely. Good luck with your MBA, Asad. And thank you so much for sharing these important insights with me today, especially your personal story, because I think I believe that most of the inspiration that is there comes from our roots and uh, definitely helps in shaping 
who we are as individuals. So thank you so much for sharing your power with me today. I'm really glad that you were able to make some time for this conversation. It's been a great joy speaking with you. And it's been my pleasure to be with you, Karima. Thank you.